and minimalists. <laughs> this episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because... Oh, we could do better than that. Come on. One more time. This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because... Yeah, they do. Oh, wow. Okay, so what we did is we set up a microphone over here. Anyone who has a question, feel free to hop up here. Ryan and I can have a, a discussion in the meantime. We showed up here. I saw the big Alamo sign, Ryan. I didn't realize this was the Alamo. It's so much nicer than I imagined. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the Object A. And uh, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but mine is that Tesla, man. Like, my object day right now uh -huh. is Tesla. And what I appreciate about, like, Peter Rollins and the conversation we had with him is, like, I can hold space for that. And I can recognize that, like, I really want a Tesla. Like, like I live in L.A. I got all the best reasons to, like, go out and get, you know, that huge loan on a Tesla and pay it off over. What are they doing? Like, 10-year car loans now? It's crazy. Well, it's a great car. You'd be <laughs> right. dumb not to do it. Right. Exactly. It drives itself. It's electric. I'm helping the environment. But we, yeah, and we do. We like, we tell ourselves like, oh, um, yeah, here are all the great excuses as to why we should go ahead and get that object A. But what I, what I recognize is that as soon as I, if I was to get that, uh, there would just be something else to replace it. And it actually reminds me of a dream I had where I, I got a Tesla and I was so excited. Like, I finally got it. I, I get in the car, and it was shortly after. We, we did, like, m my wife and I, Mariah, which Mariah and Bex are here somewhere. But uh, we went and test drove one just for, like, the hell of it, just to kind of, you know, because I was just, like, flirting with it that much. And it was shortly after that I dreamed about getting it. And there's, like, a certain thing you have to do to, like, put it in auto drive. And I, in my dream, I got into the car. Mariah got in. I put it in auto drive, and it started driving. And, like, as soon as it started driving, I felt so empty. I was like, why did I buy this? Like, <laughs> why did I give in to that object day? So I'm only sharing this with you all because even as the minimalists, you know, I wish I could sit here and say, you know, buy our books, listen to our podcasts, watch our documentaries. You will never want to buy anything again. It just doesn't work that way. What we hope we can do is help you hold space for those, those desires and, and really filter through those in a way that, that helps you live a meaningful life. We have someone, I've stalled long enough, we have a, someone to ask a question. Well, great, we'll get to you in one second, I promise. And anyone else who wants to ask a question as well. But I just want to be clear about something. Ryan and I don't stand up here from a place of judgment. It feels really awkward to me to be on any sort of platform here because um, there's literally no difference. It's just Ryan and I have come to understand a few things by stumbling into them. And, and um, we, we did a podcast episode about this recently, but you know, you know, we often like to point and sort of sneer at hoarders on TV. Like, I get it. Like, oh, look at all this stuff, and there's dead cats in the freezer. And, um, and that wasn't me. Um, and so like, it was easier to be like, see, I'm not a hoarder. But then if you actually look, at the clinical definition of hoarder, hell yeah, I was a hoarder. There are five stages of hoarding. And do you think the people you see on your TV, they get there overnight? Well, no, not everyone goes that far. But if you look at stage one or stage two, in some cases, I think Ryan and I even had a few tendencies of stage three hoarding. And you realize like, oh, like that's me. I'm three decisions away from that, right? And so, but the good news about that is I'm 
several decisions away from moving in the other direction, in intentionalism, essentialism, minimalism, whatever you want to call it. Howdy, what's your name? You can move it down. I can move it down. There you go. Oh, nice. Hi. Hi. What's my your name? Is, my name is Ida. Hi, Ida. Nice Hi. to meet you. Thanks for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to San Antonio. Um, what's on your mind? So, I... First, I want to start out with a compliment. I listened to your podcast this, like two months ago, and I it just when I feel like my world is chaos, is in chaos. I listen to your podcast and it calms me down. So I absolutely enjoy your podcast a lot. Um, I still listen to it, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. <laughs> so my question for for y'all is I'm actually moving out of my parents' house in like a month. I'm extremely terrified and also excited. So I was wondering if you can give me any tips or tricks. I'm moving in with my sister actually here in San Antonio. I don't live here. I live near here, but not in San Antonio. So. But let's talk about fear and excitement. Isn't it funny that they're essentially the same thing? And it's basically the story we tell ourselves, which determines whether I'm excited or I'm afraid. And in fact, if I were to go to you and say, hey, describe to me like a time when you're really, really excited, I might hear something like, oh, yeah, my, my palms get a little sweaty, my heart starts to beat a little bit faster, right? right. I start to get kind of tense and amped up. And I ask you to describe fear, and you start describing the same physiological symptoms of fear, right? right. And so it has to do quite often with with the stories we tell ourselves. Kapil Gupta says that fear is present whenever there are consequences. And I would say the same thing about the excitement that you're feeling as well, is the excitement is like, wow, what is the consequence of this? What is the best thing that can happen? Unfortunately, what we often get caught up in is the sort of catastrophic thinking. What's the worst thing that could happen, right? right. And that becomes, I mean, it's okay to understand what the boundaries are. You don't want to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Um, understanding what the worst thing that can happen is really useful there. Um, it, it, it helps you make an informed decision. But quite often we're treating everyday decisions like moving out of, into a, a home as though it's jumping out of an airplane, right? And so um, my guess is the thing that you fear is what? Is it, is it accumulating stuff? Is it just the new, the, the unknown of the new space? Yeah, the unknown of the new space or the responsibility of bills or not being able to handle it. Yeah, the money problems. Yeah, the yeah. drive to work or mm. just everything. The unknown. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, get a place closer to work. That's the first thing I would do. <laughs> Uh, and, and so you, you, these fears are, are, I understand, it's not even a fear, it's like a discomfort thing, right? It's, yeah. a, it's an inconvenience. When I was reading that story earlier from uh, the book about Jason and, and Jennifer, what, what I found about the conversations, uh, they, they didn't experience this incredible terror or fear. It was like an extreme inconvenience that all of their things had burned to the ground. What a beautiful place that is to be, where if you lose something, it's merely an inconvenience, right? And so 
with respect to the things you're fearing here, I mean, it sounds like the, the money side of things. Yeah, of, of course, money is, you know, Ryan and I are not allergic to money as minimalists. We have to, we have to earn a living, right? Um, we have quite a, a large team as well, so we have a lot of people to pay, and, and so we have our own homes, and um, it's important to not go into debt for me. That, that's something that's a value of mine. I, I avoid debt. I don't think there's any such thing as good debt. Now, everyone hears that, and they hear me like, say that I think you're bad if you do have debt. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just want to be clear about that. I just think debt keeps us from being free, and so if you value your freedom you'll want to do whatever you can to stay out of debt. Um, and so what else are you fearing? Mm, I have tried moving out before for college. Did sure. not work out. I, it was mentally too much for me. I got you. And I'm scared of that again. Yeah, happen. and was there anything about it that didn't work out in particular? Like, there, were there one or two things that you're like, ah, this is why it didn't work out? Your, your words, by the way. Uh, it didn't work out because a lot of things were happening around that time, such as family passing away and hmm. moving four hour, living four hours away or yeah. being on medication hmm. that was not good for me mentally. Yeah. Or I didn't take consistently like I should have. Yeah. So I'm scared of that repetition happening again while I'm living alone. I understand. Yeah, I'm sorry that it's, uh, I know that it's overwhelming. And so when something is extremely overwhelming to me, I try to break it down into chunks, right? It's like if you try to memorize someone's phone number. Remember when you used to have to memorize phone numbers, by the way? <laughs> There's a reason that it's broken down the way that it is, right? Is because you couldn't memorize if I just threw 10 numbers at you, good luck with that. But if I give you, here's three numbers. Okay, I can remember the area code, I got that. Yeah, all right, all right, now the prefix. Okay, figure that out. And then it's just like, I just gotta remember these last four numbers. I might even chunk that into two numbers at a time. And why do I do that? And so I don't get overwhelmed by it and just throw my hands up and, and so, I think the same thing is true whenever we're making a big life decision. You're, you're making what is perce you're perceiving to be this giant leap, right? Yeah. It's probably not a giant leap. It's probably a bunch of baby steps to get you there. Now, eventually, you'll be there, but it's not just, oh, my God, I have to go in head first and you know, no plan whatsoever. I think you covered it all, man. Mm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> First, I, I want to say uh, thanks so much for the compliment that you started off with because um, if it was just you who showed up tonight, I would be eternally grateful for that. And every time I hear a compliment like what you just said, it really, that is why Josh and I do what we do. So thanks so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I mean, Josh talked about certain mistakes or certain things to avoid debt being one of them. But the good news is, is that there are also some of these other mistakes that you don't have to openly admit right now in front of everyone that you made when you moved out the first time. So learn from those mistakes and uh, don't, you know, just don't repeat the, the same things. My sister, I remember when she was first moving out of the house, she called me up and she was really scared about paying her bills and um, being able to survive on her own and so forth and so on. And I gave her the same exact advice. I was like, just stay out of debt, get a roommate, keep your expenses low, and I'll tell you, it wasn't as, 
it wasn't as hard as she thought it was going to be, but it certainly wasn't easy. And that's the advice I'll give you is, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but I promise you it will not be as hard as what you're making it out, out to be. Are you, are you moving four hours away again? Or? No, no. You've already learned one thing. Away. That's awesome. That's incredible. 20 minutes from my parents. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Cool. Well, I, yeah, I wish you the best of luck, and um, I, I know you're going to do great, especially because, uh, again, you've, you've already gained a little experience, and you're going to use that to really succeed this time. I hope so. For sure. I will. Yeah, yeah you will. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks, you being here. Howdy. Hey there. What's your name? Kendra. Hey, Kendra. Hey. Awesome. Thank you guys so much Hi. for being here, and also just like leading and presenting with so much authenticity, because mm. I think that I love that you don't make us feel guilty for loving certain stuff. Um, <laughs> so my question is actually around relational. I think you guys bring a really interesting point up about people in our lives. Mm. And so as I'm getting older, um, I'm in this phase where I'm like, going through a lot of transition and I'm looking to meet new friends and build new relationships. And I'm noticing that it's creating a lot of like pull in all these different directions. Hmm. And so my question for you is, as you get older, as you get busier, more successful, you're trying to help more people, how do you create these boundaries or like, you know, kind of mental checklists on who and how you invest so that you can really show up for people while also still like, meeting new people but not forgetting about the people you already love and care about yeah uh, that's a great question like let me ask about um the, the different ways you're getting pulled can you expound on that a little bit yeah so um earlier this year i left a relationship of five years and that was a really big transition so congrats thank you that's the right answer um literally only you and one other person said that so that's really kind of you um, so as I'm going through this transition, I'm like, new place to live, new part of town, new like all these different things. And I'm also like a writer and I love to volunteer and I'll, I like to do all the things. But all this transition at once and meeting new people, I'm like, oh my God, my schedule, I need like 20 hours a day just to socialize, to connect, you know? And like trying to balance that newness and meeting new people with also just like working out and like reading books and like being a good person. It's like, oh my gosh. Mm. So it's like literally like three people today were like, hey, can we hang out? And I was like, yes, but like three weeks from now, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I felt horrible, but at the same time, I was like, I gotta like create some parameters around how I invest in people to like really show up well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I would recommend like, just getting clear on what it is that you value. Yeah. So you can go to like uh, to the minimalists.com forward slash V as in value. And there's a worksheet there that really will help you uncover. Uh, really, there's kind of four different types of values. There's uh, foundational values. There's uh, structural values. There are surface values. And then there are these these fourth level of values, which are really the big ones, which are uh, these um, these, these fake values that we really, that really don't serve us. Facebook, Twitter, email, not that those tools don't serve us, but we often find ourselves wrapped up in certain things like that. So just getting clear on what it is you truly value, maybe things that you're, 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 you're using or the, the, the time that you're using in ways that are maybe wasting time, but that will help you at least start to get a clear picture on how you can approach your friends and your family. And I'll tell you, like living in Los Angeles, there are so many amazing people that live in LA. Absolutely. It is so hard to like hang out with all of them. 
And I had to learn very, and I'm like huge extrovert, so I love like making friends everywhere I go. And it, I had to learn early on that I really had to set up boundaries. And I, t I tell you, the best way to do that is to really, it is to say no. And I know that sounds really rude at first, but when you say no to certain people, uh, you, can, you can say it in a way that you can really express to them what you're saying yes to. So, uh, you know, I was there for a year, year and a half. I had a friend, and he was like, man, I really want to, like, do this project with you. And we're, we're good buddies, like, really, really good buddies. I want to do this project with you. Would you be willing to, like, do this once a week and blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, no, man. Like, I love you. But, like, I, I have so many other things on my plate. Like, I have to say no to things like this so I can continue doing what, what, what is most important to me. So you can say yes to all your friends, but that's going to last only so long. Something else is going to have to come off of your plate to say yes to all of your friends. And when she does that, when she, when she says yes to all of her friends, you end up saying no to the most important things in your life. Yeah. yeah. To your own sanity, to your own alone time if you need it, you know, however much time you need on your own. You, know, you said something that was very revealing to me. It, you said, you know, I said no to my friend and it felt horrible. Yeah. Tell me about why that felt horrible. Because I feel like finding great people in life can sometimes be rare. And um, I feel really blessed that I just have, you know, incredible people that I, maybe I've just met or like friends that I've had for a little while that I want to get to know better. But I also have like a drive like to write and to make a difference and show up in these bigger ways. And so I'm just realizing like, if I want to do that project over there, it's going to take time and mental space. And like, yes, I'm, I want to be social and those things too, but like, I feel bad because they're great humans. And like, I would love to just be their friend and do something cool. But at the same time, it just feels a little selfish to be like, I know there are other people who would be excited. They're like, hey, come hang out, like have a friend, invite them out, you know? So I don't want to be ungrateful. Right. Yeah. I, I have like good news and may, maybe bad news, but like, there are way too many great people in this world. <laughs> there really is. There really, there really is. are. And the more you search for them, the more you're going to find them. Yeah. And it's not, you don't want to like, you know, uh, prioritize your, like this one's better than that one. This one, it's, right. you know, it's, it's who, who has the same values, the same interests. Who do you get along with the best? Who maybe is helping you creatively, uh, creative, creatively, totally? Creatively? Creatively, thank there you. There you go. <laughs> That's a Thank you one. very much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but, I mean, th that's why finding your, your values is going to be so important because then you can actually really get close to the people who are, who are going to align with those values. And those are the ones you go way out of your way to say yes to. Again, like going back to L.A., I have, you know, I've met some really cool, like, podcasters and, and uh, you know, a couple, like, minor movie stars and comedians. And a piece of me wants to be like, oh, I want to hang out with them because, like, they're, in, you know, they're on TV and they're on Netflix and they do all this stuff. But when I really think about it, I'm like... That's the only, Netflix is the only thing we have in common. <laughs> it's not a very good reason to hang out with someone. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I find it um, unfortunate that we often feel compelled by other people's expectations. And I, I'm, I'm certainly someone who's guilty of this, right? I, I take on everyone else's urgency. Their emergency instantly becomes my emergency, right? And, and anytime I do that, I start saying yes yes, yes, I forget that I'm, I'm forsaking the people closest to me. Exactly. And Ryan's right. There are a ton of amazing people out there, but that doesn't mean we're obligated to spend any time with them, right? And so it's okay to say no. It's, um, in fact, 
it might be one of the most compassionate things you can do. Not just compassionate toward them, because you can't show up fully if you're not able to show up fully, but also it's self-compassion in a way, because there are other things that are, are priorities for you. And having that compassion for yourself, realizing like, sometimes I have to say no to things. And here's the weird thing about that. There are things where I, had, I said yes to before. Hell yeah, I definitely want to do that. And now it's a no today. It was a hell yeah for a season of my life. There's a great book by an author named Derek Sivers. He's a friend of ours. And he, um, it's called Hell Yeah or No. Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal philosophy, but I'll sum it up in about 10 seconds. If it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. <laughs> and by living your life that way, you start to realize like, oh my God, I've been saying yes to so many, eh, maybe, I guess. Why not? Why not is not a compelling reason to do anything. But when something shows up at your doorstep and it's a hell yeah, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than this. I can say that about tonight. There's nothing I'd rather be doing than this at this moment. Well, then that's a hell yeah. And it makes it really easy. If I understand what my hell yeah is, God, it makes it so much easier to say no to the things that aren't that. Thanks for your question. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate you. Look at that, Ryan. You've answered all the questions. <laughs> I can't believe there are only two questions tonight. Oh, no, wait, there's a third one. Howdy, what's your name? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like a... Uh, a line that's oh, oh my gosh. Oh, okay, all right, all right. We're hiding. Awesome. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, Milburn. <laughs> Thanks what? for coming to San Antonio, first of all. Thank uh, you. Everything y'all spoke, everything that remains, gave me the courage to end a toxic relationship of four years. So shout out to whoever had to end their relationship. So Congrats to, to you as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so my question, so I downsized. I used to own a home, 2,200 square feet. Now I'm living in an apartment, 500 square feet. They call that a, uh, um, a studio apartment in Texas, right? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Did you have two living rooms by chance? Uh, I had, it, it was one of those open four plans, oh. just a massive living room. Gotcha. That was like 1,000 square feet. I'm, I mean, not, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I used to have two living rooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's for him and his cat. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Keep going. No, no, you're, you're great. <laughs> Who knew we'd be telling jokes at a comedy club, Ryan? <laughs> we've, we've sufficiently derailed this well, whole conversation. I know, we have. And they're only laughing because they didn't expect... If they came here expecting jokes, it would, it would really be a letdown. Oh <laughs> All, right, uh, All right. Return to text. Yeah, return to text. <laughs> so, I've kind of downsized to the essentials. Really, just kind of computer, desk, my bed, my... I have like, I'm into music, so I have my, my little keyboard, you know. I have a, it's only 500 square feet in that apartment, and I still have just a massive empty space. And I kind of always think about, you know, your words and, and all of that, and I'm thinking like, do I need to normalize this emptiness? Why do I want to fill it with stuff? Uh, do you have a comment on that? Do we, yes. do we really need to normalize that? Or? What, a, what, a, what a thoughtful question. Thank you. Um, so... What's fascinating is that we've abnormalized emptiness, and yet we use all these other terms to describe it, beauty, the great wide open, right? I remember when Ryan and I first moved to Montana, um, I don't know how long ago that was, 
a decade ago. Um, and uh, there, there's all this like vast beauty. It's open and it's empty in its own way, but thank, thankfully, right? It's not cluttered with a bunch of houses or skyscrapers and other things, although those things can be beautiful as well. Um, you know, if you go to Chicago and you see the skyline, that's a, a particular kind of beauty, right? But one isn't more beautiful than the other. It's differently beautiful, right? Now, you go to an art museum, and it's not about filling the space. It's about being intentional with the space. And so maybe right now, what the, the pang you're feeling is one of two things. It's either, hey, maybe I'm not being intentional with this space. I just have the essentials. You, you're, it sounds to me like you're living a rather monastic life, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, if you have an internal desire, not a societal desire, and that could be the second path, by the way. The, the second thing could be, you know what? I feel that this space is empty because other people feel it's empty. And if that's the case, then take pride in that emptiness, right? Because what you're saying is, I've relieved myself of this burden, and I have proof. It, it feels great. I know you mentioned this earlier, um, to have everything in one car, and like that's your life, and that just feels great. I hadn't felt like that in like a decade, and it just felt awesome. So thank, thank Freedom. you. Freedom. That's awesome, man. Yeah. What was your name again? Oh, uh, Josue. Josue. So that, that's great that you feel that way. So I just want to be clear, just because he is perfectly content and happy with having like everything in his car, that doesn't mean all of you have to be there. But what's amazing is like you got here on your own and yeah, I commend you for that, man. That is, that's incredible. The, the only thing I would add about your empty space is, you know, ask yourself like, how is that empty space serving you? Is it the beauty? Yeah, or is it a, a, a trophy? Like, like Josh kind of said, are you trying to show up? You know what, regardless, there's not a wrong answer here. No. There's no right or wrong in this whole thing. It's just what is serving you. So that's, that's how I would keep asking, that's what I would keep asking myself when it came to that space. We just did an episode um, called Beauty is Essential. It, it comes out next week uh, of the podcast. And, you know, what's fascinating is um, one of the things I learned through minimalism is that quite often the bones of a thing are the beauty. You are uncovering the beauty. In many ways, it's kind of like happiness. Happiness cannot be pursued. It cannot be chased. And it cannot be grabbed. You can't get it tomorrow. You can't purchase happiness, right? And the same thing is true with beauty. I mean, you can buy art supplies, but that, that's not beauty. It's the, the creative act. And so with your space, maybe there is some creativity that can go into it that creates more beauty. Or maybe it's already beautiful and you're being told it's not beautiful by societal influences. And it's kind of up to you to decide. Thanks again. Uh, one, one last thing that kind of mentioned me wanting to question is I if you search Google or Pinterest on minimalist like house in my opinion those houses are just filled with crap like it's not a representation of what I think I don't, I don't know I guess we all define what minimalism means but I just that was kind of made me like why why am I am I okay with this emptiness but I think what you've shown me is I'm 100% okay with that so thanks again awesome beautiful keep up the great work man I like that, making peace with the emptiness, right? Because here's the thing, you are complete in an empty room, but that doesn't mean the room has to be empty. But understanding that no thing, no minimalist house, you know, um, 
Kanye West often gets tweeted to us, and people send us pictures. How could someone possibly call this $60 million monstrosity a minimalist house? Well, it is. Um, it's not a house that I would want to live in. It's not appropriate for me or my life. But who am I to judge someone like, it looks really intentional. It looks like an art museum. Now, it's a whole lot of money. I'll never have $60 million in my life. Um, and yet, I can appreciate that. The same way I can appreciate an art museum. I don't go to the LACMA and be like, well, I'm going to take, see, how much do you think of, to take this Picasso home with me today? You can appreciate it without needing to, well, I guess I could steal it. You already went through that once, man. <laughs> what you've helped me realize here is Kanye best basically has built a LACMA, <laughs> and he's living in it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working out? <laughs> Howdy, what's your name? I'm Erin. Hey, Erin. First of all, I want to say thank you for coming to San Antonio. I thought y'all would have been in Austin, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for making the drive. That's awesome. We're doing three cities in Texas, and Austin's not on that list. <laughs> well, we've been to Austin like five or six times since we started touring. We've been to San Antonio one other time. This is the second time we've ever been to San Antonio. Yeah, we wanted to come so. back. Yeah. Aaron, how, uh, what's on your mind? Um, so I started listening to you guys. I saw your, your documentary on Netflix a couple years ago, and I probably minimized around 70 to 80% of my possessions, got rid of my storage unit a couple months ago. Um, so my question is, is the remaining items that I do have, I find that there's an intensification of a, attachment to it. Um, and so I find myself on my days off. I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to finish these minimization projects, and I'm, I'm almost there. I'm on my last rung of digital organization. My question is, but that's even that's a form of attachment. So, in this process, do you guys find that you're able to find a sense, a sense of wholeness? without being, quote unquote, finished with all of your projects towards minimization. Yeah, I think we're, we're in an incredibly dangerous place right now. I think this is one of the sort of pernicious aspects of the whole decluttering movement or whatever you want to call it, tidying up, et cetera. Those things are really helpful. And someone like Marie Kondo understands the why behind the, the how-to side of things. But quite often, it gets propagated in the media and elsewhere as, hey, if you just declutter your closet, you just declutter your house, then you're going to be happy. Then you're going to be finished. I heard you say it, right? I'm, I'm almost finished. Well, that presupposes that there's a finish line and that minimalism is a destination. But it's not. Minimalism is merely the vehicle, right? And so it's taking you wherever you want to go, right? And, and quite often we mistake the vehicle for, for the finish line. And once I've, it's like imagine, like Ryan gets into his not Tesla. <clears throat> it's a Toyota. Um, and um, he gets in his Toyota and he, he wants to go get something to eat. But instead of going to get something to eat, he just gets in the Toyota and says, well, I guess I'm finished, right? I finally got there. You, you didn't get anywhere, right? It's merely, it's going to take you where you want to go. And the question is, then, what is my arrival point? Where do I want to go? And how will minimalism serve me on that journey? 
Because otherwise, it just becomes about getting rid of the stuff. And then you'll, you'll never get there. You'll turn into a Spartanist, which is the opposite of a hoarder. We did an episode about this recently. So a Spartanist, for those of you who are uninformed, is just an obsessive-compulsive declutterer, basically. And so it's a person who can't stop letting go. Well, that's, we want to avoid that as well. Both of these people are on the same spectrum. Hoarders can't let go of anything. A Spartanist can't hold on to anything. A minimalist is on a different spectrum altogether. It's the intentionality spectrum. And you can be a minimalist like me and Ryan, or you can go even farther and you could be a, a, a monk or, or an ascetic, right? Someone who lives with very few items but does so intentionally. Or you could even be a maximalist. There are some great maximalist designers out there who use objects in a way that is very intentional. It would be clutter for me, but it serves great purpose for them. The question is, how am I going to live my life so that it gets me where I want to go? If you don't know where you want to go, I can promise you, you won't get there. Oh, um, I'm, I'm trying to say this in the kindest, kindest way. You'll, you'll, there, is no, there is no finish line with that, with the decluttering projects. Now, there might be a certain thing that's happening where you're finally like tidying up everything, and that's incredible. And I find that, you know, I am constantly, I get tidied up and then, you know, all the, you know, the shit, the junk drawer starts to become two junk drawers, and you're like, oh no, like, I have to do this tidying up thing again. But, you know, minimalists, they don't focus on less, 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 they focus on more. It's, it's creating more time. It's creating more freedom, more creativity, more experiences. So the question is, is what are you freeing up all that time for? What are you freeing up that space for? And maybe you don't have an answer for that, and that's okay. But that's really where, where I was drawn to minimalism. I didn't see it as like a, as a magical bullet answer where it's like, oh, if I throw all my stuff away, I'm going to immediately start experiencing perpetual bliss. Like anyone could do that and still be miserable, right? For me, it was regaining control of my finances. It was regaining control of my time. It was making it so I didn't have to uh, work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to pay off you know, all that debt that I have accumulated. So yeah, I, I would ask yourself, what are you freeing up all of this space for? The, the, the literal and the, the metaphorical space, what are you freeing all that up for? That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Howdy, what's your name? My name's Eliza. Hi, hey, Eliza, what's on your mind? Um, I had a very serious question for you, Ryan. Um, been wanting to ask you this for a long time. Where did you get those sandals? I see you on YouTube. Like, I saw this one shot of you like on a skateboard. You just I was, yeah. There's so much controversy around these. Anytime that Jessica posts a picture of him on social, Jessica, who's not here tonight, she's our social media manager, she posts pictures, and it's it immediately, every, it, it's like, the foot fetish community converges. <laughs> well, yeah. half, the, half the people love them and the other half of the people hate them. That's my I'm unfollowing you. Like, okay. The memes are great. <laughs> the memes are good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I feel so bad that you're here to ask me where I bought something. You don't know where it's <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were going to ask me something really deep like... Ryan, let's go back to your drug use. Tell me about, um, man, uh, they are, I will tell you, and everyone listening to this, I think, yeah, I do, I do, I do. I I, I, I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I wear them. So sh 
Josh has Toms, and I really like Toms. Like the, there's the no whole, logo on them though. The the whole concept is like I, I really, you know, it's 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 philanthropic. I, I do think that you know Tom has all the best of intentions, and you know there's there's articles out there that will bash him and that love him, just like us. You know, it's like anything, right? But but I but I look at it and I really respect it. The problem is when I wear Toms, I will blow them out in like two months. Like my his very sweaty feet. <laughs> They're so sweaty right now. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> so Josh, he he actually bought a pair of these. Uh, they're called Zero Shoes. X E R O. Can I buy them online? Uh, yeah. No, like I'm serious. Yeah, no, seriously, again. And um, and and actually, I talked to the because I wore these in the in the film Minimalism, and the CEO got a hold of me. He's one of the coolest dudes. Like he's a really he's a, he's a really nice guy. Lives down in San Diego, and uh, we had a Skype conversation, and I felt even better about, you know, kind of. He was like, "You made my shoes famous." I'm he, like, he "Where's my ask, royalties?" He, he asked if he could advertise <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, no, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He did not ask that at all. Um, so uh, uh, where was I going with this? Oh, so yeah, Josh bought a pair of these, and he's he saw my pains with like going through these. Tom's every you know two months. He's like, try these out. Like maybe these will work for you. And I'll tell you, the first two weeks, your feet are you're gonna hate them, cause like you're not used to like walking with certain muscles. You got to build up certain calluses. That's what my friend said. Yeah, but after the first two weeks, like it, they really are comfortable. Now, since you're in Texas, you probably get to wear them year round. I had to go every, in Montana. I had to go through that every single spring. Because, like, winter's over, and then I start wearing them again. I'm like, oh, that's right. There's these, like, two weeks of, like, misery. when I, So I'd only walk, like, maybe a mile in them rather than, like, because, but now I could, like, you know, do a 5K in them if I, if I had to. Yes, yeah, because I have these sandals. Um, yes, like, Texas, we have to wear sandals, like, all the time. I don't know why I buy boots. Like, I just don't wear them. They're, like, for you. Like, they hurt me when winter does come because I can't break them in. But, yeah, so I'm looking for another pair because this is my only pair, you know, essentialism or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I'm glad we could geek out over sandals together. That's, that's great. But, like, because I just got rid of another pair. And it was, like, made of tire at the bottom. So, like, I'm kind of used to that uncomfortability. But, like, what was the site? Like, I'm serious. Oh, X-E-R-O. X-E-R-O. Yeah, okay. X-Zero. X-E-R-O. Ryan, they're giving us a blue light, so maybe we should go through the lightning round. Uh, that sounds like a great idea. It, thanks for the very thoughtful, deep question. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll try to answer your questions with short, shareable, less than 140 character responses. Or we'll just maunder on a bit, but I saw they gave us the, uh, the light. So Howdy. it's time. What's your name? Hi, I'm Gina. Hey, Gina, what's and on your mind? Um, my question is more about toxic relationships. So mm. I have um, a pretty toxic relationship with my mom, and it's mm. been about 15 years. And it's something I think about and struggle with on almost a daily basis because everything in society, movies, greeting cards, especially as a female tells you your mom's supposed to be your best friend and all this, and Ooh. how do I come to terms and kind of assuage the guilt I feel? And I live 1,300 miles away from yeah. my mother. Yeah, me too. Well, oh, wow, this is familiar for me for sure. The unfortunate news is there's not a how-to on this. I wish I could give you the seven steps. And uh, then it'd be solved. Or, oh, shit, I just forgot number four, and that's why my relationship with my mom is, is toxic. It, it has to do with a, with a deep understanding of what is the root of this toxicity. And it almost always emanates from somewhere that you're familiar with. And I don't know if you suffer from this, but I certainly have. Self-righteousness. And... Um, and what happens is when two people, we, we all feel the need to be right, right? 
and by God, we're going to convince everyone that of our rightness. Well, the problem with that is in order for me to be right, someone else has to be wrong. Right and wrong are just these constructs, right? And so the thing that is making your relationship toxic with your mom is more likely than not this misunderstanding of, of these binaries, the desire to be right and, and the desire to be, well, to convince someone else of one's own rightness. Now, it might be your mom is trying to constantly convince you of something, right? Or it could be that you're trying to convince her of that as well. Sometimes a toxic relationship isn't about a toxic person. It's like when you have two chemicals in, in separate beakers and you mix them together and there's like this toxic explosion. Sometimes that's what a relationship is like. There's a section in, in the book about letting go of toxic relationships as well. Sometimes it's possible to love someone from a distance. And I don't just mean from 1,300 miles. I mean the leverage that you have are your most precious resources. It's your time. It's your attention. And so you may have to reclaim some of that time or attention by not fueling the toxic relationship. That definitely fits on Twitter. <laughs> they expanded 280 characters. Yeah, all right. Uh, I have such a long answer too, but I, I, I want to share some insights that I have found with my my mom and dad issues over the last several years. Um, I've I've always had the sense of injustice that my mom wasn't a good mom or my dad wasn't a good dad, and they weren't they weren't the parents that they were supposed to be, and for some reason, like I deserved good parents. So the the first insight I have is. Where is it written that we deserve good parents? None of us deserve anything, really. Maybe clean air and water. We don't even get that. <laughs> so I had to let go of that expectation of deserving good parents. Then I had this realization. I'm like sitting around. Uh, this is about a year or two ago. I'm 38 years old, and I'm like just have, you know I'm like going through. I was argue with my parents in my head. I win every time, by the way. Um, so I'm like sitting there thinking, uh, wow, like my parents had me. My dad was 22, my mom was 20. I'm I was 38 years old at the time. I was like, I'm 38 years old right now. And I don't have hardly anything figured out. Like, why would I throw that expectation on my parents that they would have anything figured out? At 20. Yeah, at 20. So 18 years later, I still don't have it figured out. So my mom's 60, guess what? She still doesn't have it figured out. But, but what I can do is I can see her for who she is. I can hold space for the, the, the person she is. And, and, you know, Josh talks often about, you know, what one, one form of love is to see someone for who they truly are and accept them. Like, that's, like, the true form of love, like warts and all. And I can look at my mom and truly accept her. And, and the, one, the other insight I have that might help is I have, <laughs> this is, like, the hardest thing to accept, but I have to be my mom's teacher. And that sucks because you look at your parents to be the teacher. But like I'm the one that has to be the teacher, and that's okay. Like I've accepted that role finally, and uh, we still, you know, we still have our issues. But like she came out to LA not too long ago, and we had an amazing time. And it's like anytime she tries to like pick a fight with me, I just kind of, I just look at her. I'm like, you know, I'm really glad you care, and you know, I love you, and th thanks for bringing that up. I don't escalate. That's like the number one thing that I don't do now. Where where I used to escalate, and then like we wouldn't talk for like two months. So. I hope one of those insights maybe will help you look at that relationship a little bit different. But ultimately, here's my pithy answer, is 
when a relationship becomes toxic, sometimes you have to love that person from a distance. I have some pity for you. Your happiness is moderated by your expectations. The reason you're discontented by this relationship is because you expect it to be a different way. You want it to be another way. And I'm sorry. I know it's not. I know that's really hard. And I feel for you. But to love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. There's no such thing as conditional love. That's nonsense. To try to change someone is also not loving. To try to convince them, to try to persuade them, to try to coerce them to your point of view is also not love. But if you expect them to be someone other than they are, then, well, that's a type of clinging. And if you cling for too long, you're going to get dragged. I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Howdy. What's your name? Hello. Jasmine. Hey, Jasmine. Hi. Um, just two quick things that I find myself struggling with. Sure. Um, one thing is, so my dad passed away from cancer a couple years ago. And in my garage, I have like a whole bunch of boxes full of his stuff. So I'm having a very difficult time just every time I lift up the lid, like it's hard for me to get rid of things. So that is one huge thing that I'm struggling with. And I guess the second thing real quick is, um, I'm a mom, I work full time, I'm a nurse, and I'm currently in school getting my doctorate. So it's just how to manage time. And you can also testify that I have a bad time just managing time, saying no to people, focusing on you know, really finances and just focusing on what I need to focus on. So I guess those two things I'm just struggling with daily. Yeah, wow, what a courageous question, thank you. Um, the first thing to know is there, you don't have to do anything with, with your father's stuff. So there's no expectation from anyone. Um, and, and that goes for either side. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to let go of it. If it is a burden, which you're probably asking the question because it feels like a burden to you right now, I can totally understand that. Um, Ryan and I, we, we wrote about these 16 rules for living with less. They're not really rules, they're just boundaries. And one of them is something we call the spontaneous combustion rule. And I know that with a lot of the things we own, it's basically the, 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 the rule works like this. Hey, if I hold up any one item that I own and it's spontaneously combusted, would I replace it or would I feel relieved? And I'm not telling you that you need to answer that question in front of all these people, but it's something to think about. If those things disappeared tomorrow, you'd probably want to replace some of it, right? There's some of it that you would want to hold on to. When I dealt with my mom's stuff, what I realized, I tried to keep all of it at first. I was watering down the sentimental items by having thousands of sentimental items. And the paradox is I get far more value from the few items I kept than if I were to have just thousands of her items just sort of sitting there in storage. Because you're not getting a whole lot of value from it right now. In fact, you're getting, as it stands currently, you're getting negative value from those things because they're, they're a burden to you. That doesn't have to be the case. You can tweeze out a few things that you find to be meaningful and actually enjoy those in your home, in your space. And they're not just sitting in you know, our garages, our attics. They just become these mausoleums of stuff. And we're holding on to those things, but they're not doing anything for us. They're just, they're keeping us anchored. And um, I'm sorry it's such a burden, but um, 
I know that when the time comes, you can identify what does add value and you'll be able to let go of the rest. You can applaud him for that. That was good. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, um, the only thing I want to, I'm trying to like find the nicest way to say this. The, the bigger deal that you make of your father's things, the, the, more, the deeper the attachment's going to become and the harder it's going to be to, to let go two years from now. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know that that's not good or bad, it just is. And the attachment is not good or bad, it just is. And, that's, and it's okay if you, like I'm not as scared of, I'm really attached to my wife. I'm not scared to have that attachment in my life. Um, when it comes to your, your schooling, I, I went through this, uh, Josh did not get his college degree um, and s somehow climbed his way up so high up the corporate ladder. I had like no idea how he did it. Um, but but I, I did. And um, I, I just remember it being like my senior year. By the way, I started when I was like 25 years old. Work paid for it. And I was like, oh, I'd be, I'd be dumb not to do it. And all everyone around me said, you'd be dumb not to do it. I have not used the degree one time. But my senior year. I remember going through having the same feeling of overwhelm and time management and having to say no to things. And I was getting ready to drop out because I didn't see the value in it. And I was like, I'm, all, I'm not learning anything. I know that I have bigger things ahead of me in this company. And uh, I was talking to a friend, telling them this. And they're like, well, they were like, yeah, dude, your life's hard right now. Like, it's really hard. And it's going to be that way until you graduate. Like, can you put up with it for another year? And the way that I interpreted that was this is you are in a season right now that it will be over soon. Just like winter, well, you don't get that in Texas. Just like, <laughs> just like summer, a really hot summer. It's like you know that it's not going to be 100 degrees every single day forever. Um, <laughs> now we got to talk about the environment, Josh. <laughs> no, uh, so you're in a season right now of life. And that's okay. So just like with um, when I was paying down my debt and when I was simplifying, I had to temporarily de deprive myself of like certain enjoyments and things so I could pay off my debt. When I was going to school, I did deprive myself of certain things of, you know, going out, hanging out with friends. I don't know, you know, what's kind of getting in the way, but you might have to temporarily uh, just kind of, you know, delay gratification. And that's, that's okay as long as there's an end date to it. You know, you don't want to like you don't want it to, to totally deprive yourself forever. Like that's not what Josh and I ever talk about is deprivation. But you might sometimes have to temporarily delay gratification. So I just want to encourage you, like, yes, this is a season and it's really tough, but it will be over. It will be over. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Here's something pithy for you, by the way. Uh, our memories are not in our things. Our, our memories are inside us. Howdy, what's your name? Hey, how y'all doing? My name Good. is JR. So, thank y'all for coming. I love y'all. I, oh, I was Thanks introduced to y'all on Netflix. Y'all uh. y'all, and Dave Ramsey get me in trouble with her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you're welcome. <laughs> all right, so I have two questions, two quick questions. So, first, she grew up in a very affluent home where they had two furnished living rooms. I barely had one furnished, and before we get married, can y'all help me convince her to meet me halfway with just one furnished living room? <laughs> I love the spirit of the question. Um, now, remember, to convince someone is to unlove them, and so I have no convincing to do, but I have some observations. 
Um, I too grew up, yeah, we grew up really poor. Food stamps, government assistance, um, one living room. Uh, you know, and... <laughs> Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> and and uh, here's what I'll tell you about the, the things. I, I understand the, the desire to fill a space, especially as you move into a house together. Man, I had a... When I was in the corporate world, I built my first house. I was 22 years old. And it was oversized. It was just me and my, my former spouse and... And it was just just big house. We had a two and a half car garage. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> a golf cart. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It means hey, store a bunch of stuff in here because you've already filled the house, right? And so, as soon as we moved in, I immediately felt compelled to fill it with stuff. We got to have all the right stuff, otherwise. Our house is incomplete. If my house is incomplete, then I'm incomplete, right? We talked earlier about emptiness and being secure in an empty room. Now, the, um, the compelling reasons to not fill the house with stuff, there's the financial side of things, all the stuff that you hear about with Dave Ramsey. But, and, and for sure, I mean, to me, that's beyond compelling. The other compelling reason is that when you get all those things, you're gonna want more things. It's called the Diderot effect. And that's just a fancy way to say, you buy something, you're gonna want something else. And, and in fact, if you buy the really nice couch, now all of a sudden, you gotta have the nice coffee table to match it. And you gotta have the side table, you gotta have the lamp, right? And so you need the new, so the one consumer purchase can lead to this sort of tailspin of consumerism. And so be careful what you bring into your house because uh, it becomes pretty difficult to stop. And eventually, you're going to have to let it go anyway. Oh, man, you could have ended it right there on that pithy answer. <laughs> I retract my last sentence. <laughs> oh, I got a pithy answer for you. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible to fall deeply in love with someone no matter how many living rooms you have. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet that. <laughs> so my last question is, so it's so many like sub movements off of minimalism, like the minimalist baker, minimalist vegan, uh, and so on and so forth. Is there anything that you like any sub segments of minimalism that you guys have um, incorporated in your own lifestyle? That's my last question. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, what I found is that as I started simplifying my life, it began sort of permeating every area of my life. And while I wouldn't, so I wouldn't identify it as as a, a separate movement, but yeah, my, the way that I eat food is entirely different now. In fact, there's a section in the book about the minimalist diet, and it's mainly about what we don't bring into our lives. It's about what we don't eat, as opposed to what I should or shouldn't eat. I don't care about that. The doing less is not about the doing, it's about the less. You can tweet that one. <laughs> Yeah, so for me, like besides the food, yeah, I, like I I love minimalist architecture. I uh, I have like a little notebook at home that like I I have these visions of like minimalist art, and it just looks like you know kid crown drawings. Uh, my wife is like the real artist, but uh, but yeah, I mean yeah. So there are certainly other areas that are appealing. I really love the tiny house movement. Now my wife and I are both really tall. So um, I don't think we'll ever live in a tiny home, but we'll live in like a simple home. You know, that's what I'm, I'm going to call it. Um, but
but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have kind of dreams of like building like a simple home, just something that's big enough for, you know, the two of us, maybe, you know, a family and um, trying to keep it, you know, as compact as possible because I like the challenge of that. So yeah, there are, there are a ton of areas um, that have certainly permeated my life with that stuff. And the minimalist baker, you brought her up. She's awesome. I like her a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Thank brother. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate you. We'll do one more, and then I'm going to finish with, uh, with some reading. I apologize. If we, do we have two more? Is that it? Okay. We'll do, we'll do both, and then we'll finish with a reading. We'll actually do lightning this time. Okay. Howdy. What's your name? Hi. My name is Noor. Hey, Noor. So, very quickly, just want to share, I don't know a lot of people here, so I bought myself a table to come here. At the last minute, I invited a coworker. She has no idea who you guys are. About five minutes in, she leans over to me and says, as someone whose cat has their own wardrobe, I don't think I belong here. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> um, I'm joking, please don't. <laughs> yes. So, about four months ago, I got a job, which was my object A. Two months ago, my relationship ended, and not necessarily because of that, but just long distance sucks. He has now become my object A. I really realized how much I value having him in my life, what a wonderful person he is. I feel that he compliments me very well. And I really respect and find comfort in the way that you both speak about your partners. So my question is, when you met your partners, were they your object A? Yeah, what a, what a wonderful question. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, and what I, what I can tell you is that um, I talked about this with respect to stuff earlier, but the objects of our desire become the objects of our discontent. And my guess is there are one or two times you were discontented in that relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's generally how relationships go. So that's one pithy thing for you, but here's something else to make it. It's, this is pithily depressing. Um, every relationship in your life will make you miserable. And so choose your relationships carefully because you're ultimately choosing your, you're, you're choosing your own mis misery. Now, of course, it's, your own expectations that make you miserable. It's not the other person. It's never the other person. No person in your life in this room has the ability to make you upset. Only you make you upset. Yeah, I, my pithy answer is something similar to what he was saying. It's uh, a person can enhance your life, but they can't make your life. I don't know if that makes sense. Can't not. complete your life. Yeah, can't complete your life. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the Ooh. most insidious thing, the Jerry Maguire thing, right? You complete me. Yeah. That presupposes you're incomplete, so you're already complete. And if he can augment your life, wonderful. You can enjoy him. You can love him. You can see him for who he is without trying to change him. How beautiful is that? Mm. But the moment you have an expectation. That's really a desire to change someone. And you'll get dragged by every expectation you have. Yeah, long distance sucks. Uh, I met Mariah in October uh, 2013. I left for tour for a year, January 2014. And it sucked. But, I mean, we kept in touch. We kept the long distance thing going. 
um, there was something I was looking for specifically and looking for a partner and she fulfilled that. I don't know if I would call her my, maybe she was my object day. I don't know. Um, I don't, cause, cause yeah, I was definitely looking for something, but I guess all I'm trying to say is like the, if it's for Mariah and I, I just kind of, and I think she took the same approach. If it was meant to be, then it would work out over that year of us being away. And it did work out. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Thanks for your question. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Howdy. I'm the last one. What's your name? <laughs> My name's Spring. Best what, for last. What is spring. it? Spring, like a season. Hey, Spring. Hey, thanks for coming to San Antonio. Thank you. And, thank you for coming. Um, I just want to thank you. You both have been on my journey this past year and a half. COVID has served me extremely well. I've getting ri gotten rid of half of my things. And the Salvation Army knows my name and address. Thank you very much. Um, and I've learned some amazing things. And Ryan, you um, have said on a podcast once that um, it's the action that makes it happen. And, um, and it's so interesting to me because it really is a spiritual path of minimalizing. So I just want to thank you. I learn from you every day. So thank you both. And keep it up. Um, my question is, is that I do have an elephant in the living room. And it is an online merchant that begins with A. And, um, and I deleted the app. Um, I've set budgets. I've changed the card that I can buy things with. But this, when you started tonight's meeting, you said, what do you want to get rid of? This is my toxic relationship. So what can I do? You have a toxic relationship with Amazon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to break up with Jeff Bezos, basically, yes, right? basically. I need Let me a grab my mic stand yeah. here. I need a 24-hour divorce. It's, a, it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need a one-click divorce, right? <laughs> yes. You can start telling jokes as soon as you get the mic stand. It's fine. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Wow. I mean, you know what? You know what's fascinating? R Ryan talked to you about the action, right? Yeah. And that's important. But the action takes us only so far. We talked about this earlier. Knowing the how-to really manifests when you understand the why you want to get rid of the thing. And so I'm not condemning Amazon. Um, I can understand why it is so problematic for so many people. Well, why is it such a problem? It's removed all the friction from our lives, which sounds awesome. Who wants friction? Well, try to drive with no friction. You lose all traction, right? It's like driving on ice. For those of you from Texas, ice is... Um, <laughs> no, um, so, so we've removed all the friction. And so, of course, you're sliding around consumerism and you're careening from one purchase to another. It's same day shipping on some items in some places. Or next day, oh my God, I can't believe, Ryan, I had to wait a whole day to get the butt wipes I ordered from Amazon. <laughs> right? And um, <laughs> so there are some things you can do to reintroduce friction to the process. You can change your password and, and log out of Amazon every single time you use it. So you have this password that's difficult to use. It's not memorized and you have to have that additional friction, right? You can implement something like the 30-30 rule. If something costs more than $30, I wait at least 30 hours. What I'll do is I'll put it in my cart, right? And on Amazon, I just buy things one day a week on Amazon. So I'd put it all in my cart and then Sunday rolls around. I look at the cart and I delete 90% of the cart usually. Some weeks it's 100%. What the hell was I doing? And, and then it's like, I felt like I was, because it was one click, not purchase. 
I just deleted all of it, right? But that's the how-to stuff, and you're going to keep struggling until you understand the why behind it. Because Amazon can be great. It can get you stuff that you want without having to go to, you know, wherever. Um, I don't even know where people go these days. Walmart, Am uh, um, uh, Target, et cetera, um, Macy's. Um, these will all be outdated references in like six months. Um, and, and so you will, yeah, it makes it convenient. But if, if you prize convenience over everything else, you're going to suffer. Ooh, tweet that. Yeah. Wait, say that again? What did you just say? If you prize convenience over everything else, you are going to suffer. Oh, yeah. That's, well, it's funny because yeah, I was thinking, yeah, convenience, convenience prevents contentment. Um, so there's the even pithier of what uh, you were saying. <laughs> you outpithied me. <laughs> um, if you understand why, if you get a deep understanding of why you don't want Amazon in your life, and it may take removing it for a period of time, what would happen if you removed it for a month or six months or a year? What if you removed it for the rest of the year? What would happen? You, your life would become inconvenient, but maybe you learned something through those inconveniences. I remember I got rid of my smartphone for two months. It was the most productive two months of my life. Right. Same thing might be true when uh, you remove your number one shopping habit from your life. Yeah. Thanks for your question. I appreciate well, you being you. here. Thank you. Thank you again for coming to San Antonio. Come back. Thank, thank you, Come Spring. Back. Thanks for being here. All right, before we wrap up, um, I'm going to do something we don't typically do here. If you take out your phones, you're allowed to take them out. It's fine. Um, I'm going to give you a phone number to text, but only if you want to. We're, gonna, we're recording this event, but no one's going to get access to it unless you're a Patreon supporter of ours, which if you want to support us, that's the only way that um, you know, we get continued support because we don't do any advertisements. But if you want a recording of this event, then you can just send us a text. I need a word. Give me a good word to... Pit. Okay. Tech. What? Alamo. Alamo. There we go. There we go. I could, I'm afraid too many people probably already text the word pithy to us. Alamo is good. So text the word Alamo to us. This actually, these texts do go to me and Ryan. This isn't some made up thing. Um, you can also text questions and random stuff. We don't reply to everyone, but occasionally we do reply to folks. Um, actually, quite often we do reply. So our phone number is 937 202-4654. And if you send us a text, we will, whenever we get back to LA and have the event together, we will send you a recording of this event. And also, well, and we'll never send you spam, junk, any of that stuff, obviously. Uh, but every Monday, we'll also send you a minimal maxim, a, a little pithy thing to start off your week with a little bit of simplicity. Each Monday, a Monday morning minimal maxim. We'll send those to you direct, directly to your phone. No junk or anything like that. 937-202-4654. This is called Love is More. We have a language problem. I love my wife, but I also love burritos. <laughs> By the way, this book is dedicated to Mariah and Bex, who are both here tonight, and I just want to acknowledge them and say thank you to both of you for supporting us and loving us.
returns a text. Hopefully. Here we go. We have a language problem. I love my wife, but I also love burritos. I love Ryan, but I also love the new Matt Carney album. I love my daughter, but I also love the various colors of flowers in my neighborhood. One love involves bottomless devotion birthed from deep affection. The other, a preference or fondness for something enjoyable. And then there's the distinction between loving someone and being in love with them. The same root word, two utterly different meanings. The Inuit dialect spoken in Canada's none of it region has at least 53 words to describe snow. Imagine if we had even half as many for love. Instead, in our culture, we stretch love to apply to people and pickup trucks, friends and fried chicken, lures, uh, lovers and Louis Vuitton bags. But when you extend anything beyond its natural limits, it loses its strength. This is especially true with love. What do we mean when we end a phone call with, love ya? Is it just a nice way to say goodbye? Or is it simply the lazy way to say, I love you? And when we remove the I, do we alter the meaning even further? Abdicating ourselves of the responsibilities of love by removing ourselves from the sentence? We all need love, but love isn't all we need. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need connection. We need sincerity and grace and kindness. But these characteristics are suppressed without love. Can you even imagine sincerity without love? How about grace, kindness? Take it a step further. Can you imagine getting everything you ever wanted Fulfilling all your dreams without love. Not a chance. Like building a two-dimensional house or drinking from an empty cup, a life without love is flat and empty. If love opens the door to the best parts of life, why then do we not seek to be loved more often? Why would we rather be sexy or cool or liked? Liked is in quotes as in liked on Facebook, because it's easier. We can manipulate our surface to increase our status, but when you look at someone who's trying too hard to be trendy or glamorous, what do you find? A person who lacks integrity, a person so uncomfortable with themselves that they hide from love by draping themselves with shiny adornments. That's why love is difficult. It can't be shaped by trinkets or transactions, only fidelity and support and understanding. Sex appeal and likability quickly fade in the face of uncertainty. Love, however, makes room for risk and rejection and even pain. There's also plenty of space for joy and pleasure and tranquility. The only thing, in fact, that won't fit within the confines of love is self-centeredness. Love is too big for the self alone. <clears throat> if you consult your nearest dictionary, you'll find that love has several meanings. 
an intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in something, a person or a thing that one loves. But my favorite definition is one I never thought much about. The fourth entry in the New Oxford American Dictionary defines love as a tennis term. Love, a score of zero. Thanks for tonight. Dan Minimalists. <laughs>